purpose of and who he is and what God has done in his life. And that main theme uh, we have said is that Joseph is presented to us as a servant who saves. He's a servant who saves. But today, we'll see, we're going to add one more S to that. Because uh, when you're uh, saying things rhetorically, it's always good if you can get words to start with the same letter. <laughs> so I'll do that today. Joseph is the servant who saves. Now we learn by the Spirit. The servant who saves by the Spirit. Here is Genesis 41. We left Joseph when he was in prison and we're told that after two whole years of being in prison, he was promised great things to be exalted above all his brothers and none of this is happening. And he has two years in prison to think about how foolish he was to believe such a dream, if he doubted at all. We're not given any indication that he did. So how was it two years in prison to think, what is God's purpose for my life and why do I suffer so? If you've ever asked that question, you're in good company. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. It was a terrifying dream to him. Then he fell back asleep and dreamed a second dream. And behold, seven ears of grain plump and good, were growing on the stalk, on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, And he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and the wise men. Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offense today. His offense was, he was supposed to tell Pharaoh about Joseph, and he forgot to. For only two years, You ever had someone forget something? Oh yes, back in 2020. I remember this. We have to forgive each other, right? So as he's in prison for just two years, he says, I remember my offense today. When Pharaoh was angry, he speaks to Pharaoh with his servant and put me in, me and the chief uh, baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night And he and I, uh, each having dreams with its own interpretation. Now there was this young Hebrew was there. He was with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. A servant, always serving, Joseph is. When we told him, he interpreted our dream to us, giving uh, an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted uh, to us, so it came about. It was, I was restored to my office and the cup 
the baker was hanged. Uh, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him up out of the pit, which is his prison. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh uh, said to Joseph, I uh, have heard or had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph pauses him there and says this, It is not in me. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. That's important. Skipping down to verse 25, because Pharaoh just reiterates the dream again. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, after hearing the dream, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select discerning and wise men and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of the good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for uh, food in the cities and let them keep it. And the food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Now, Pharaoh's response is marvelous. It says, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, There is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride on the second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zavah. Uh, I usually don't mess this up, but for the sake of humor, can we all laugh at me right now? 
Thank you. Zaphanathath Pena, and he gave himself uh, in marriage to uh, Asanath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went on uh, out over all the land of Egypt. So that is um, the story of Joseph uh, beginning to actually unfold from the beginning of how we've seen him. That he is uh, fulfilling these dreams that God has given him to do. But we couldn't have the full picture without this episode now to understand God's purposes in redemption. He is doing something by the Spirit. The work of God's Spirit throughout the Scriptures ebbs and flows as far as we're able to understand or discern. But here it becomes very clear that God is saving through service by the Spirit. The service of Joseph, we know, was clear. Every episode, the episodic theme of this story of Joseph, every time we find him, he's serving. We open up to know he's serving his father as a young boy. He's enslaved and serves Potiphar in his whole house. He's thrown into a prison and serves the jail master while in prison. While in prison, he's appointed to serve the cupbearer and addresses him as he's bothered one morning to say, are you okay? How can I help? And he interprets his dream. That service deposited ferments for two years as he continues to rot in prison, but it produces a sweet wine. That two years later, that cupbearer says, oh yes, I remember, there's a man in prison who is good at interpreting dreams. And now here we find Joseph serving again. But this time, unlike all the other times, Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And Joseph is saving. As we see it's unfolding, his service is for salvation. We just realized there will be a famine coming. It will be blighted through all humanity and many people will suffer. And so his service is for the preservation of life. And now we know it is also by the Spirit that Joseph goes out of his way to say, this is not of me. God can interpret these things. The Spirit of God can give wisdom to produce life, save life, and serve humanity. These are the themes that we find. And you see that in Joseph to know now in our lives. Very clearly, you and I, we are called to the same as he. Serve. You and I, we're called to wake up tomorrow morning and work very hard. Serve. We're called to save. I used to work uh, as a paramedic. Sometimes uh, things went well. And I was thinking, yes, we're, we're, we're saving a life, we're sustaining a life, preserving a life. It's not that though. Every endeavor you take in this life, if you're a Christian, is for that end. Whether explicitly or implicitly, you are called to preserve and enrich life. Whether that be working in the medical field, whether that be emptying garbage, whether that be cleaning the house, whether that be creating things or investing money, you're supposed to preserve life and enrich life. Maybe you're not preserving some life by managing some investment fund, but you're enriching someone's life, and that is a good thing. And if we don't clean up all our garbage, we get diseases and die. 
The man who comes and gets your garbage or the curb or the house is saving your life. Do you see? He's saving humanity. In a literal sense, he's saving humanity. Keeping bacteria and germs and all the disease. That if we had it, we would die. Any good endeavor that we could ever put our hands to as Christians is to serve for the sustenance and service of life. Maintaining or enriching life. And as Christians, we are given the Holy Spirit in order to be enthused, be empowered, to not just do all this service for the sake of service, but to do it in worship for the glory of God, that we are called to keep in step with the Spirit and walk with the Spirit and go on being filled with the Spirit as we wake up tomorrow to serve and sacrifice for life. Do you see how that all fits beautifully in the gospel that we've been given? That God himself incarnated himself to do nothing less than that. To serve and to sacrifice for life. And so here we have this dream as we find in Pharaoh. These seven cows come out of the Nile. They're attractive and plump, we're told. They're fat, they're well fed, they're good. These thin cows come out from the Nile and consume them. The Nile. See, it's not as though it's just any dream. Let's make a fair assumption that Pharaoh had other dreams before in his life. This dream bothered him though. And in this dream you find these emaciated or unhealthy uh, cows, these thin cows coming out of the river of the Nile. Which is the best. There's a reason Egypt was so wonderful. They had the Nile every year, almost like clockwork, flooding and exuding water all through the land so that you could just throw, you read ancient um, writings like uh, Herodotus and stuff. They'll say, you, if you go to Egypt and you just throw seeds on the ground, plants will just spring right out. It's just amazing soil. Just throw, you don't have to plant, you don't have to plow. Just throw seeds in Egypt and it just comes straight up because of the Nile feeding that whole area. And so this is where we find famine coming from that source. It doesn't make sense. Seven ears of grain, he gets another dream of plump and good, followed by seven thin ears of grain that consume the good, swallowed up so that it means nothing. This dream is a strong impression. We're told that he awoke from it and then realized he was dreaming. The dream was a type of dream in which he wasn't sure if it was real or false. Where his subconscious, his mind, his impressions were directly related to maybe this is reality. We maybe had a few dreams like that in our life where you really thought this was real life. It's a truly fearful thing or a really pleasurable thing. Whatever it was, but you thought you were living in this dream and you wake up. It doesn't happen often. It happened for him now. We're told he woke up and realized it was just a dream. And then from there, he calls his wise men. He calls his magicians. He calls the cupbearer that we met before. See, he is part of this guild of wise men. The cupbearer that Joseph met earlier. He's in this business of interpretation. He's in this business of wise counsel for the king. He's the cupbearer 
to the king. And we find that they will not, well, not will not, cannot interpret. The word there, it says they could not interpret his dream. Not that they would not interpret his dream. It's not as though they didn't try to interpret his dream. The idea is that they have a dream, Pharaoh's a dream, and the wise men are not sure how to answer it. Or if they do answer it, it's not resounding as true. It's not making sense. It's not striking the Pharaoh right. I remember my offense, the guy says. There's a man who can. They quickly brought him out of the pit. Out of the pit, not the prison. The words are similar, but it's the same word that the brothers put Joseph in earlier. Connecting the dots. Connecting the dots. Joseph, you were put in that pit by your brothers so that you would be here for this moment. Your prison and your pit were connected because all of your life is connected under the wisdom of God. Do you see that in your life? Joseph came out of the pit that his brothers put him in. It's all connected. And before Joseph introduces the interpretation, he introduces the interpreter. That's very clear. You find in his address first to the king, he says, It is not in me. God can give you Pharaoh. He can give you a favorable interpretation. But before that should come to you, you should know, this is not of me. I'm a man. There is a one true God. And he knows all and sees all and plans all and brings them to its allotted end. And I am not him. So for that, let's look at these two contexts of uh, inspiration and illumination. See, in Reformed theology, I want you to see this in the story. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Find it in your life. This is how God has always worked. Just find it. Inspiration. It's the idea, the doctrine that God inspires the word. It is not just merely the words of men. That's what Joseph is getting at. 2 Peter 1.21, it says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men or men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, like wind in the sails of a boat. These men were carried along. They were enthused. They were animated. They were brought to bring about these words, not in and of themselves, but the Spirit of God was inspiring, inspiration to this word. Now people have interpreted that to mean either that the one's own interpretation means that it's not the prophet's interpretation that matters, Or other people might say that this verse is referring to the interpreter's interpretation that matters. So if you think you have an interpretation of scripture, that doesn't necessarily mean it's right. It's not your interpretation that matters. Or perhaps the prophet who's speaking these things doesn't really know the extent of what he's saying. When you read Isaiah, right? When you read Ezekiel, when you read these prophecies, we're not saying that Isaiah knew the beginning from the end. We're not saying Isaiah could interpret it all and knew exactly what all his prophecies truly, fully, in its uh, mature, culminated sense meant. But that he was carried along by the Spirit who was bringing this out to its resulted end. 
Either way you look at it, it's both true for Joseph. Joseph says, first off, if I be a prophetic interpreter, you should know that the spirit of prophets is of the Holy Spirit, and my interpretation doesn't matter here. That is, it's not of me. God can provide. Or, the other way is, no matter which way you take this dream, Pharaoh, the interpretation is not of your own. God is his own interpreter. If what I'm saying to you, if what I'm about ready to say to you, as far as prophetic word, is true, it will manifest itself as truth. It will not manifest itself as truth inside the little warm fuzzies of your heart. It will be objectively, historically, veritably true. And no one will be able to resist it. For example, prophecy of scripture is, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is it true? We will see. If it's a true word, everybody on earth will bow. Do you remember, Joseph? The dream? Tells his brothers and father, everyone's going to bow to me. Is it true? Now he's riding on a chariot with Pharaoh. Where everyone says, bow the knee. Inspired interpretation. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, reproof, for training in righteousness. So, Joseph gives the interpretation as this. The two are one. That's beautiful. Every dream we found inside of this Joseph story has come in doubles. Joseph had two dreams. The baker, the cupbearer, and even if there were a candlestick maker, two dreams. Pharaoh had two dreams. The doubling, the doubling. He says the doubling makes a difference. The seven cows, the seven ears that are good are for seven good years. The seven thin cows, the seven distorted ears of grain are for seven bad years. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Seven years of plenty in the real historical world. Seven years of famine in the real political realm of Egypt. That's what the prophecy means. It is true. It is objective. That it would be consumed. That the famine, the seven years of nothing, will consume all of the good. Now, if that doesn't happen, then this was not a word from God. If that doesn't happen, then Joseph is a false prophet. And what happens next? So we're looking at the two phrases. Inspiration and illumination. We say inspiration is God breathing out his word. And it is powerful and is true and is veritable. Inspiration is the next step. Again, these thin cows come out of the Nile. They had a God for the Nile. All the interpretations that the wise men would have given. All the interpretations that the magicians could have had would work with only inside their false god system, their pagan system. And when they give their interpretations and try to provide wisdom for the Pharaoh, he's not satisfied. 
Why did these cows come out of the Nile? The Nile is the most stable God of all the ancient world. It's feeding us every single year. We are so good because of the God, the Nile, that causes the flood. Illumination. Not only is God inspiring his prophetic word, he applies his prophetic word spiritually. The same spirit who inspires the word is the same spirit who applies the word. Just because God's word is true doesn't mean it affects. Many read God's word. Many know the gospel. They know it's true and they pass right by it. Many people can walk by very valuable jewels and gold and stone and if they don't have the eye to see it, it doesn't make the stone or the gold less valuable. They internally cannot appreciate these things. So God goes inside. Not just inspiring, inspiring his word, but illuminating the mind. Look at Pharaoh. Look what is happening to him. The spirit is at work in this service of Joseph. Not just in the way Joseph could speak inspired prophetic word. But that the spoken word of Joseph actually penetrates into the heart of Pharaoh by the Spirit. The same Spirit that breathed the word. We're told in verse 8. He woke up in the morning after his dream and his spirit, his inner man, was troubled. He calls his magicians and wise men. He tells them the dream. And none could get the right interpretation. Not as though they didn't try the interpretation. But then Joseph comes and he says it all and lays it out perfectly. And we're told in verse 37 that Joseph's proposal pleased the Pharaoh. Do you understand why that is ironic? Joseph's proposal pleased the Pharaoh. He says, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? He goes on to say, God, God has showed you this, Joseph. Now, now here's the thing about illumination, about the Spirit's work of turning the lights on inside of you so that the Word hits you. This prophecy is about 14 years How does he know it's true? The only way you know it's true is we revisit this discussion 14 years from now. Do you see? He's convinced that he was right. You're right, Joseph. There will be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. God has spoken. Do you get the gospel? Jesus Christ is Lord. You look around, you're like, are you sure? Yes, he really is. The brothers of Joseph will bow. Doesn't look like it. He's in prison. Oh, they will. The Spirit of God comes in where the Word of God penetrates and convinces you of the truth. That this Word, though, only partially fulfilled now, is true. It will happen. 
And it's not just been 14 years, it has been 2,000 years. And we have seen the Spirit of God working in 2,000 years. We stand in a position to look over the shoulder and say, Oh my, this carpenter of Nazareth is a remarkable man. All people across the world worship him. By his Spirit, though never seeing him. Illumination. Prophetic word inspires Spirit comes to testify to that word and the lights turn on and Jesus is Lord and I've never even seen his face. Just as convinced as Pharaoh that what Joseph has said was not just a story but the very words of the eternal God. Life has been coming to a dark and pagan country like Egypt. That's why Joseph had to be in prison. God illuminated his mind. I remember this just as a personal antidote that my verse for this, and perhaps you've had these, perhaps you haven't, perhaps you've just walked with the Lord your whole life. As far as conversion, as far as the light turning on, I remember as a 17 or 18 year old young man uh, going through my midlife crisis a little early. I was having a little bit of an existential crisis saying, what's the point of any of this? What do I want to do with my life? I don't know. I don't care. I don't want this. I don't want that. And I was at an event in which I sat on a couch and read James 4.14. Come now, you who say, tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town, spend a year there, make a little bit of money. Seems like a good point. Do that with your life. Make some money. Make a little bit of money for profit. Do you not know that you do not know what tomorrow will bring? And this is the one that got me. I realize that this is the word of God. What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. I was hooked. The Lord turned on the light in my mind and I said, that is true. That is true. This man, James, he speaks the oracles of God. Reading the word that way. It's just the word. The spirit comes. So, the inspired word of the gospel going out, realizing this, that his spirit testifies with our spirit, Romans 8, that we are children of God. Now Pharaoh is taking on a new God and therefore incorporating a new administration into his whole kingdom. He is saying, Joseph, you Hebrew, your God is right. The God of the Nile, whatever these wise men and cupbearers would like to say, I don't agree with them anymore. The Spirit of God has illuminated me in some way that I'm going with you. And what follows is out of his service comes all of this great honor upon Joseph's life. You will be over my house in regards to no one except me is regarding the throne will you be higher. You can order all the people in my kingdom is the way you command. Here, take my ring. Have my ring for an insignia. Take the gold chain. Have that on your neck. And then here it is with Joseph. This is beautiful. What does he get? A garment. 
Joseph in his garments. That, that garment that his father gave him, multicolored tunic, prolepsis of saying, you, you were made for great things. His brothers hate that. We'll bow down to this man. You know what? We'll take away his vestiture. We'll take away his honor and we'll kill him. Sound like Jesus? But the prophecy's true, as it was with Joseph. You have to bow the knee to the man. They will bow their knee to their brother Joseph. And even though you try to kill the incarnate God, he will crack your knees with a rod of iron and make you bow. The prophecy must hold true. The doubling. The doubling. Look at what he says. Look at what he says in 41-32. Particularly is where you find Joseph interpreting the dream. He says, the doubling of the dream means that it's fixed. Not all interpretations of scripture are absolute. God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, tell them to repent. In 40 days, if they don't, the whole entire city will be destroyed. But he doesn't say it that way. In Jonah, it says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. But Nineveh repented and Nineveh was not destroyed. Was Jonah's prophecy not true? It's true. There's conditions. Jeremiah 18, it says, if you repent, I will repent. Right? God could change on the way you change. But there are some things that God says that will never change. There are some things that he has to bring about exactly as he says. And the doubling of this dream, Pharaoh says, this is the decree. That it has to happen this way. He's not providing a moral situation. Alright, your life is convoluted and complicated. There are good there are bad. There are problems. There are trials. There are joys. What is, what's happening here is you are not, you are free to not overly interpret your life. Pharaoh, see, can't repent. The king of Nineveh, Jonah comes and says, if you repent, your city will be spared. There's no option like that for Pharaoh, right? The doubling of the dream means this famine's coming. Egypt, you don't have to repent of any of your sins. Your repentance isn't going to change anything. The doubling of it makes it fixed. It's coming your way. Have you had prison, trial, famine, tragedy? Have you been in the pit? And in that moment, you wonder, why, Lord, is this happening? Why are you letting this into my life? You have to see the freedom of this. Historically, I know from speaking to many people that when that touches them, the question is, God, why? And now I'm shook and I'm not sure if all my sin is coming upon my head. So there is a fact in which if you repent, maybe some of the tragedy in your life is the result of your own sin. That is a live option on the table. Consider it. Repent of your sins. Maybe the Lord will stay his hand. But do not, and this is the beauty of the gospel, do not overly interpret your life. Do not gaze at your own navel too much because you'll go cross-eyed. Quit looking at yourself that much. If you have problems in your life, okay, where's my sin? Can't find any? I repented, okay. Some things are just coming your way. God says, it's fixed. There's going to be a famine for seven years and a lot of people are going to be really hungry and we're all going to suffer. 
No one needs to repent. There's no way to change it. It's just coming. So don't overinterpret your tragedies because you're not the interpreter. You don't know the beginning from the end. You only know the here and the now. The beauty of all this can be captured. Um, if you ever had the experience of walking through an art gallery, um, the times that I've uh, done that just to relax or just think about things, it's kind of enjoyable. Uh, it's not super enjoyable. Um, it's in between. Uh, it's like water without ice in it. It's like, it's good. Uh, but one of these uh, experiences that I've had, and you probably uh, might have experienced the same, and I don't mean to be an art critic because uh, I am not uh, self-wealthy enough for that. Um, the abstract art. You see it there on the wall, if you've ever been to one of these galleries. Uh, it's just a canvas. Uh, and there's no frame on it. It's just kind of hanging from the wall. And it's like a few like weird shapes, you know, and like some colors and splatters. And you look at it and you're like, huh, that's, it's not like visceral. It's not like an ugly image. It's just, you know, wow. Mm. And you like, you look at it and you're just like, that's interesting. Um, but it's not bad. It's not ugly, you know. But then, as you walk down the hall, we go to these good art galleries. They have these ancient paintings. Um, seen some that are from the 13th century. Right? These paintings are older than our country. And I remember seeing ones that are like a war scene. Horses, people being shot, killed, or whatever. Maybe let's say it's from the 13th century, but it's old. It's, it was in some king's palace. It's massive. It's bigger than your living room wall. It's just, and it's uh, framed, you see. Uh, it's framed with a gold frame. Uh, maybe cost more money than you'll ever make in your life. And uh, it's gilded, you see. The frame of the picture is gilded in gold. Right? And the way they painted back then, the Renaissance or Baroque, you know, it wasn't all abstract. It's a war scene. It's violent. It's evil. People are dying. But the way it's painted, the brush strokes and everything, it's, it's actually beautiful. It's iconic. It's epic. Right? Do you see, that is what the gospel has done for you. You are only permitted to frame your life in Christ. So even though it might be an abstract piece of art where there's really nothing bad happening in your life, it's not framed, you see. It's just a canvas sitting there and it's... Hmm. The framing is what matters. When you're in the middle of suffering, when you're in the middle of heartache, your frame gets very, very small. You think of the pain in that moment. You think about your prison. You think about the famine. You think about all that there. The gospel opens you up so that you can see the larger frame. It's all about the frame of your life, the frame of your mind. Why am I suffering? Why am I in prison? Why am I in the pit? The answers from here to the outer frame aren't given, but we have been given the outer frame, and the prophetic word to you, and as the pastor of this church, I can tell you that the outer frame is gilded in gold. It's a beautiful picture of your life. It might look like war in the center canvas, but it is gilded in gold. It is a marvelous, epic life you live. It is a beautiful picture that God has given you. Because it is all framed in Christ. The frame of your life, the frame of your mind, 
Colossians 3.3, your life is hidden with Christ in God and Christ who is your life will appear and you will appear with him in glory in the golden frame that he has encompassed all of your days. Your life is framed in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in glory. The frame of your mind. Have this mind among yourselves that you are in Christ. Though he was in the form of God and had equality with God. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, and he humbled himself. Being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that God would highly exalt him to the outer frame. The glory, the exaltation, the beauty of Jesus Christ. Have this mind, this this frame of mind inside of you. That though he was in the existence and equality with God. He humbled himself to the point of a servant like Joseph. So that he would be exalted to be outside. Above all things in which every knee will bow. And confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father. To the glory of the gilded gold frame. And you and I with him. That is our frame of mind. Without that frame of mind, all the wars and catastrophes and trials and torments and pits and prisons of your life are ugly. They're like modern art, modern Western culture that's abandoned the gospel. And we can't even paint beautiful pictures because we don't have any beauty inside of us. Because the Holy Spirit has not filled the hearts of men to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But you and I are not that. I have a lot more to say and we're going to pray. (laughs) Dear Father God, I pray, Father, that you would help us to see the frame of our life this way. Lord, I pray that those who are in the middle of trials, we understand that some of these will just come. And they're not our fault. There's nothing we can do. You've just opened up trial for our life. And it's okay, Lord. It's okay, because we know how it will all end. We know, Lord, that you will cause all things to work together for our good. For those of us who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, we ask you to accomplish this in our lives. And that we as a church might love one another, support one another, serve one another, build one another up, so that we would come to the full maturity of Jesus Christ. Oh, Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds and turn on the lights of this nation. Amen.